Hello and welcome to Cinedrunk, the podcast where we are drunk on cinema and alcohol, as it just so happens. Uh, brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm one of your hosts, Matt. I'm joined, as always, by Nathan. Hello. And Elizabeth. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. So the movie we did um, was Noah, directed by Darren Aronofsky, which, as you can imagine, is based on the biblical story of Noah and the Wait, ark. Wait, was it? You're kidding. <laughs> I think so. I think what? that was totally the source material, you guys. Um, <laughs> but in this particular, because they obviously made some some stretches to fill out the story. Mm-hmm. So the movie is centered around Noah, played by Russell Crowe, who receives visions of a genocide where everyone will drown, and also instructions to build a giant ark to preserve his family, and then two of each kind of animal, um, which he does. He's joined by his wife, played by Jennifer Connelly, his three sons, Shem, played by Douglas Booth, Ham, played by Logan Lerman, and Japheth, played by a child actor who is very beautiful and might have been a girl. (laughs) Um, And also Emma Watson, who is a girl they discover as a young child. Um, (laughs) That is correct. Who has been, like, gravely injured. She has a stomach injury, which means that she's infertile, obviously. Um, And so, yeah, they are building this arc. They are. They are. They certainly are. So for this film, uh, we came up with three different drinks. And we're going to kind of take it as we go. Three different sections. So the first drink that we're drinking right now is called Nuts and Berries. Mm -hmm. So we're getting down to the nuts and bolts (laughs) of Noah and his ark. And we're drinking Nuts and Berries. And the... The recipe for this one is uh, Frangelico hazelnut liqueur, that would be the nuts, Uh, of berry liqueur of various kinds. We have settled upon a blackberry flavored brandy, that's the berry. By Mr. Boston. By Mr. Boston. (laughs) Very high class. (laughs) And uh, heavy cream. So you mix a half ounce each of Frangelico and black uh, well, in our case, blackberry-flavored brandy, and two ounces of heavy cream in a cocktail shaker. Shake it, pour it over ice, and uh, the rest is history. It's very nice and creamy. Very. Mm-hmm. Very berry Berry-y. And a little Smoke. bit nutty. A little bit. Um, so I, I chose this drink to start off for a couple different reasons. One is that this movie, as you can imagine, is full of nutcases <laughs> religious nut job zealots and therefore we had to have nuts involved berries if you've seen the film should be pretty obvious uh, there's a wonderful character methuselah don't know if you've heard of him easily our favorite uh he's played by anthony hopkins and he has this longing for berries He's kind of holed up in a cave. You know, he's very old. So there's basically moss growing on him. (laughs) And he's just thinking about berries, dreaming about berries. Every time someone visits him, he's asking about berries. He never gets his berries. Because no one, you know, no one cares about Methuselah. So eventually, (laughs) about halfway through the film. I 
like it's not halfway. It's like 30 minutes into the film. And I also like that you've constructed this whole backstory for Methuselah. Well. Created mostly about bears. <laughs> it is very, this film is basically Barry-centric. <laughs> And, it should uh, have been titled Methuselah. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> Methuselah and his berries. <laughs> so at, at a certain point, Methuselah crawls out of the cave, um, you know, hand over paw, <laughs> into the woods, and he's looking for these long lost berries. It's been 600 years since he's had a taste. And he pulls back the brush. And he finds some berries, and he pops them into his mouth, and then he just gets destroyed by a, a wave, um, which is the, the beginning of the flood. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. So that is um, the inspiration for this drink. And also, I might add, since this section, I think we're also going to talk about positive things about the film. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, for one, loved Anthony Hopkins. Agreed. I think if I were to be in this film or in this world, I would definitely want to be him <laughs> because he kind of avoids all the BS and he's just looking for berries. I will say wow. I loved Sir Tony. Uh, um, Tony. <laughs> in this movie too but at the same time it was a little bit odd because like they play that berry moment for humor the fact that he keeps asking if people have brought him berries and then he's finally like my berries as a wave comes and kills him and he's fine with it because one he's a thousand years old and (laughs) two he has his berries but it was a little bit strange only because i feel like there are no other moments of humor in the film which is why i didn't necessarily love anthony hopkins but I liked that he was like, this movie is a pile of garbage, yeah. fuck it, I'm going to have fun. And he and his berries had a grand time. Yeah. So I'm with Nathan on that. Well, now that we've covered the most important aspects <laughs> of Noah and the story of the Ark, which is clearly Methuselah. that his grandpa is Anthony Hopkins and he's old and needs berries. Um, <laughs> in terms of the film and the, the positive aspects, I'm sure we'll have much more negative things to say. Uh, we had three very different opinions of the film. Um, let's, let's focus on the positive for this first section for, for nuts and berries. I, uh, in addition to liking almost all of the performances quite a lot, um, I did think, um, in terms of things that worked, I thought, um, Darren Aronofsky and, um, his co-writer, uh, did a good job of stretching out what's a really short story that takes, you know, like two pages in the Bible, filling it out, fleshing it out, making this bigger moral story that was complex. There were several... Elizabeth clearly disagrees, as does Nathan, given the looks that he is currently serving. Um, No, I mean, mean, there are definitely aspects that didn't work, and I will certainly concede that. But in general, it worked as this two-hour Hollywood epic film that had characters with complex, you know, dilemmas and emotions. There were moral ambiguities and conflicts left and right, in addition to just, you know, general kind of crazy biblical story that, you know, Darren Aronofsky was sort of putting his, like, Christopher Nolan Batman, like, realistic spin on it, which I appreciated that, you know, it focused on not what you normally hear about, like, you know, the creation and repopulate the earth, and, right. like, there were two of each animal so that they could continue the good, the innocent species, you know, the, um, all the good on the earth, and this was more focused on, like, the actual, like, horror like it's kind of a horror film of like 
this flood is a crazy event and every single human dies with the exception of Noah and his family. Right. Um, you know, I, in general, I thought the story worked. I will say actually that that is one, one thing that I appreciated about the film was there are moments first up in his vision of the flood coming. Mm -hmm. He's being pulled down into water surrounded by dead bodies. Mm -hmm. And then also once the flood actually comes and there, it starts with them inside the ark and they just hear all this screaming oh, terrifying. from outside. And then they pan to a shot of people like clinging to a rock, which was probably mm -hmm. the top of a mountain or something, trying to hold on. And that I thought was great because we've heard that story how many times? And mm -hmm. when you're told that story, it's just like, Noah's great and all the animal couples and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of nice to be like, no, the reality of what that story is saying is that literally every person, like, was wiped right. off the face of the earth. That God or creator was like, nope, nope. <laughs> not good, let me <laughs> wipe the slate clean. Right. Yeah. So I did think that that small portion of the film worked, and I was I was pleased by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked similar, you know, in a similar way, I liked some of the imagery in the film, especially some of the darker kind of artistic imagery. Uh, I'm thinking of when uh, Russell Crowe's character, well, Noah, is standing at the foot of a mountain and uh, he looks down at his feet and uh, he's like standing in blood and all of this stuff. It's kind of, it's a little bit obvious and it kind of reminds me of Requiem for a Dream, one of Darren Aronofsky's other films, but that's not a bad thing to be reminded of. Um, mm -hmm. And I think some of that's, effective and original and provocative and I, I liked a few moments <laughs> a few hesitation moments. <laughs> um i also uh really liked as i said the performances but i i loved russell crowe i always love russell crowe i know my two co-hosts here definitely don't agree. Nathan is like well, burrowing into his arm. He totally disagrees. You know what? That's not true because I used to be like a huge Russell Crowe, like insider, gladiator, mm -hmm. A Beautiful Mind, which I actually don't even really like as a film, but I think he's great in it. Agreed. Um, LA Confidential, so totally. great. So for the longest time, I was like really a Russell Crowe defender and then he like slowly started losing me and then the past few years, he's just been doing like hammy either either sedated drugged up ambient performances like the one he put out in Les Mis or like ham fisty villain which I I was telling the boys earlier I think Ray Winston who plays the um human sort of antagonist in this movie just all right like evil corrupted man Tubal Cain sure <laughs> yeah Tubal Cain um that I think Ray Winston based his performance in the film Noah on Russell Crowe's performance in A Winter's Tale, which I'm judging simply by the trailers. I have not seen the movie. <laughs> um, so I, but I, having the previous affection for Russell Crowe, it was a great refresher for me to see, oh no, he can actually act. Like he can be a subtle and, and nuanced and impressive actor. Totally. Um, yeah. Loved, speaking of Beautiful Mind, loved Jennifer Connelly as well. Great. Again, it's a similar role that just requires nothing of her but to be a supportive wife. Right. Totally a cipher, but she's fantastic. I mean, there's a reason she won the Oscar for Beautiful Mind. She's just real good at just emoting like none other. 
She's very good. She's a good crier. She sure is. She's a solid crier. Solid. Um, I think we all agree that we really liked Logan Lerman as the mm-hmm. more conflicted son, Ham. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I think we all agree that Douglas Booth is totally blank, but very pretty. Super blank. More blank than he is pretty. Yeah. Just bland. Just what? I don't even remember who. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest son. No, I, I don't. To be, fair, to be fair, he didn't really get any characterization. That's true. The younger son was just the younger son who was there, and the older son was just the older son who was there, and, and boning Emma Watson. Like, they spent more time trying to give Emma Watson a character arc than they did him, so he yeah. didn't really have much to do. Logan Lerman pretty much got all of that. That's true. Yeah, um, well, There's not much more positive. Yeah, I think we're say. fast veering into the but negative territory. I will briefly just say that I really appreciate this movie's existence and that I know it costs way too much money and that it maybe might not even turn a profit, though I know it's doing well overseas. Um, I appreciate that whatever studio was like, yes, Darren Aronofsky, you are a visionary. Here is money. Make the movie you want to make. I appreciate that that happens and that it's not you know, another franchise or superhero movie. Right. Though I guess this could be a franchise. Why not? <laughs> it's a franchise. Clearly we want a Methuselah prequel, so <laughs> we're on board. No, I just appreciate that every once in a while we get big budget, more artistically based films. Right. But let's move on to, to a flood, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, so we're here with our second drink of the evening. This one is a classic, well-known to the masses. It is... <laughs> Much like the story of Noah. Exactly, sure. exactly. It's a dark and stormy. Oh, like a storm? Yes. <laughs> like yes. a flood? Yeah, exactly. Good, good boy. Uh, you get one of the reasons why we chose this drink. But um, this is a, a classic drink uh, with rum and ginger beer. What I learned, I did a little research on this drink, and what I learned is Gosling's or Gosling's Black Seal Rum actually has a trademark on the name Dark and Stormy. Really? So in order to call your drink Dark and Stormy, you have to be using Gosling's Black Seal Rum, which thank God we are. Not really. <laughs> I think we have Bacardi. We're, <laughs> we're rocking the clear Bacardi rum. Classic. Um, <laughs> And for ginger beer, we have Krabby's original alcoholic ginger beer. I had actually never heard of alcoholic ginger beer. I had only had the more daytime, child-appropriate, <laughs> non-alcoholic version. So this is great. And uh, it is also gluten-free, it is which gluten-free. is good for me, the non-beer drinker, because I'm allergic to barley. So if you're gluten-free and looking for a, a gluten-free alternative... Krabbies. We recommend some Krabby's Original Alcoholic Ginger Beer. Yes. Yeah. Sponsored by... Right. It sounds like that's um, our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I believe... Oh, there's one more thing. So the Dark and Stormy is also the national drink of Bermuda. Oh. Ooh. And this film, Noah, was shot primarily on the island of Iceland, hmm. which is... An island in the Atlantic, just like Bermuda. 
just How crazy. one and the same. What are the chances? What are the odds? What are the odds? We obviously really planned this drink out. We did our research. We we went into it. So, um, as I, I think maybe we mentioned, this film was pretty divisive amongst the three of us. I had some major problems with it. Um, and I, one of my biggest problems was its treatment of women. Um, I thought it was very narrow-minded um, and pretty dismissive. Um, Noah, the longer they are on the ark, starts going kind of cuckoo crazy and is wondering why his family has been spared and sort of comes to the conclusion that they shouldn't have been. They were just a necessity to to build the ark, but that ultimately they were meant to perish with all the other humans. Um, and But, like, everyone just sort of defers to him, especially, like, at one point... Uh, Jennifer Connelly goes to old Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Methuselah. <laughs> Methuselah. Um, and Methuselah's like, well, whatever, whatever Noah wants. Like, you should listen to Noah. You're a woman. Be a good wife. Um, and they're constantly talking about finding women for the boys just yeah. so they have, like, as if women were, like, don't forget to get the milk. Yeah. Before you come home. They only exist to be mothers. Exactly. Yeah. Which I found really offensive. But the worst part is, as I said, as we all know, any wound to the stomach automatically means that a woman will be barren. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and if Emma Watson feels terrible that she can't give Shem children. and They start to like kiss in the woods at the beginning of the... F- are close to the beginning of the mm-hmm. film and she stops them like, no, I don't even want to be intimate with you because I can't give you children. And then good old Methuselah while he's digging in the, in the foliage for berries, for berries <laughs> um, puts his hand on her stomach mm-hmm. and obviously is curing her mm-hmm. of being infertile. And the way it's done it's like she sees the trees more clearly. It's like her vision has impaired because she can give life. And she immediately runs to Shem and wants to be intimate with him as if like... And I just, the whole idea that like that's that women are solely like mothers and also that sexuality is completely tied to... For women to mm-hmm. the ability to give birth. I feel like it just feeds... Yeah. I feel like... And it also just feeds into this idea that like that's what sex is about for women is it's just about procreating and and serving the man and i got really infuriated by it It, like i was actually really bothered by it and i didn't go into the movie like there have been a lot of criticisms about the movies and people are unhappy that they see it as like a environmental story because they definitely play that like noah and his family descendants of seth one of Adam and Eve's original children are totally environmentalists, right? They, they live off the earth. Um, they don't eat animals, but if they did, they would, like, use every part of the animal, you know, all these things. And then and the, the other men in the movie, including Ray Winston and his whole clan, are descendants of Cain, and they're very industrial. So I see all that, but, like, it didn't really bother me, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad message. So I didn't go into it already, like, predisposed. Like, I hadn't actually heard any criticisms about the portrayal of women, which to me just means that it really was, like, 
pretty offensive that I immediately, honestly, that scene where she, like, I can see the trees because my womb is healed. I, like, wanted to, I kind of wanted to walk out. I was well, so Yeah, but it's kind of like the magic of then she can bring life into the world. Like, I, and I'm not reducing her as the female character to that's her only function, but I don't know. I, I saw the, the revelation there and, and that kind of moved me. Um, Here's my question. Mm -hmm. Is if Adam and Eve mm -hmm. were all descendants of Adam and Eve, supposedly, um, but they had three sons, and of course Cain killed oh. Abel, how the hell did Seth and Cain reproduce? With Eve, I With guess. With Eve? Yay, the Bible. Ugh. See, that's, that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, this source material is... The Bible, and then you know, it's like I two know. pages that's only no, focused it's on way Noah. less than two pages, it's like two sentences. The whole story of Noah, yeah, crazy, it's really small, yeah, <laughs> that's insane. So, that's all they're pulling from, and yes, they definitely should have fleshed out or given more. But I think that's like my bigger complaint is because if they were taking like the source material, if this were all in there, then I would be like, all right, like I get it, you're dealing with the source material, but you have the the space to like examine the psychological depths of people and to just have and both and women they, too are also faultless like they're absolutely like noah's complex right and he's mm -hmm. dark and there are times where you're like holy shit like he's a psychopath he's gonna like murder this baby that emma watson with her magically healed womb gets knocked up with like he's complex ham is complex both female characters are completely like saintly mother figures, mm -hmm. and that's it. And and because he's dealing with limited source material, there was room to add colors. There was room, and especially with Jennifer Connelly, he has a gifted enough actress totally. that he could have had different shades there of her like questioning her obedience to her husband, like things like that. And it was just completely ignored, which irritated me. And yeah, and when he did go in all of those different directions with other aspects of the story, and then chose to leave the women, as you say, as, uh, you know, relatively one-dimensional characters. I definitely picked up on, on that during the film, and it enraged me probably a little bit less than you, but I was very angry um, and upset by, by the fact, well, basically everything you just said about, um, about the way that that women were portrayed and treated. And um, also, I think gener more generally speaking, um, I want to tread a little bit lightly because I'm not a biblical scholar. And I think anyone with a brain who is studying the Bible is not taking this as anything literal. So in terms of, you know, who did Cain and <laughs> Seth, you know, sleep? I'm sure there are many ways to interpret that. And I honestly, I don't really care personally, but um, I do know that the story of Noah is, is quite small as we've, as we've mentioned. And honestly, I just don't think it deserves a film. It doesn't, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead to my final analysis, which is that, this this story just doesn't hold up to being made into a hundred million dollar film. There's not enough there, and even though he put 
more into it, uh, it just, it didn't work for me. And, and it was like, you know, I'm obviously, I'm personally predisposed and, uh, biased towards being bothered by sort of religious zealotry and nutcases. Um, and at times the movie was like watching a Fred Phelps family video <laughs> or something. That's how I felt. I mean, these people are insane. Um, and so that just bothered me because of my personality and my right. beliefs and lack of beliefs and, and what have you. But, um, at the end of the day, there just, there, there wasn't enough there. It was surprisingly slow at times yeah, it was really bored for, for how much action was happening in general. It mm -hmm. was still, the pacing was strange. And, um, anyway, I'm, uh, well, just to offer my rebuttal, as I, clearly as we stated, you know, this was a divisive film for the three of us. I clearly liked it more so than either of my two co-hosts. Um, in terms of the the actual story, the biblical, you know, having issues with that, of course, I do too, just being, you know, non-believers, sinners. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, um... I feel like I went into the movie a little more open-minded that this is a tale of fiction and that you can take anything you want from it. Like I saw it more as like a fable or morality or fairy tale rather than like this is what some people believe or like this, some version of this is like the way that some people live their lives. And so like it has almost more importance. I, I definitely didn't go in with that and I feel like that made me less angry <laughs> with the film. Um, in terms of the, the women issue a little bit, I, you know, obviously, yes, those characters were not fully fleshed out and there is so much more that could have been done. Um, though I think the Ray Winstone character was even worse than, than either of the, the female characters. 100%. Probably get just because of the performance, but I'll get to that in a moment. Um, I just, in general, I didn't have as much of a problem with the lack of depth of other characters because Noah is the main character, you know, Russell Crowe is, is clearly the lead and yes they defer to him but it's because he's the one that's been tasked with this enormous burden that's like more epic than any other story or film is that like the fate of this earth is like totally in his hands and mankind and the, the innocent species and all that so to defer to him or he's the one that um you know people need to blindly follow I did not have as much of an issue with my two main complaints first would be Ray Winstone. And I think besides the performance and it being like super hammy is that there was a lot of room there for more conflict to be dug out between, um, you know, his character is sort of rooting for mankind and his performance and the way that it's portrayed also in the script is just that he's kind of a selfish, you know, bond villain yeah. that, that just wants humans to keep living and Logan Lerman as Ham the, the middle son is sort of torn between the two camps you know partially because there's those shades or those layers of that you know he didn't get a wife uh, he didn't get to bring a female onto the ark with him so selfishly he doesn't you know get anywhere to go um, in terms of his his future um, there could have been more drawn out from the Ray Winstone character and that you know there were all these humans that, as we've said, it's almost like a horror story that are going to die. There could have been more of a conflict of, hey, wait a minute, even though we're not all good, 
humans deserve, you know, a second chance or we deserve to, right. to live and it wasn't really played up. Well, I think that was like a well. problem in general with the whole everyone who wasn't Noah and his family. Yeah. Is that they were, I mean, it would have been much more speaking of layers if you really want to round things out and have it be sort of a morality play. Like, get into the 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 darker shades of morality and what makes us good and bad and the decisions mm-hmm. that we make and the consequences of it versus like straight up like there's a scene of them randomly like kidnapping women and children and shoving them into a camp and like implied rape and murder of women and children for no real clear reason (laughs) except to be like they're evil they deserve to drown and it would have been more interesting if they had looked at even if it had been like looking at people worshiping like the idea of money and wealth over you know, a god or a higher spiritual being, like, things that I, I think are in the source material. Mm-hmm. And I, I did think... Uh, yeah, I did kind of like the... Well, I mean, <laughs> I loved the part where they <laughs> threw people into a, a gate and <laughs> <laughs> raped and murdered You do love that. Any movie. Um, no, but I, <laughs> I appreciated the desperation that was shown mm-hmm. in that, and that what I took away from that is that here are people at the end of times, not only the end of their lives, but the end of everything they know. And so like we kind of mentioned earlier, I, I liked that it wasn't this fluffy, sunny two by two Noah tale. And there was (laughs) this real like kind of gritty desperation in that scene. But again, it was just another idea thrown in there that wasn't, connected to to much else yeah no context thematically or yeah yeah and that's my second main detractor for the whole film is that i well i as i said you know i'm glad that darinovsky was given darin aronofsky (laughs) darinovsky this is a good dark and stormy um methuselah uh take a drink uh (laughs) i i do appreciate you know that he was given this budget as you know an artist not that it's entirely his vision of course he had a very talented crew behind him um, doing all the other aspects of the film. Um, But I feel like, especially given that it was such a personal project for him, or this is a story that for some reason has really connected with him his whole life, I feel like he didn't take any real bold statement. Like there was, as as you said, as a main detractor, there wasn't really a reason, at least, you know, as a viewer, I didn't see any reason that this movie needed to be made. I didn't see if he was going to make this movie because it's so personal to him and it's something he had felt he had to do. He should have made a statement of any kind. And there was, you know, little statements here and there, but it, there was no, like, it wasn't necessarily like, boom, this is about environmentalism and right. like the earth or boom, this is solely about human nature and good versus evil. It, it was kind of wishy-washy, which wasn't so much a problem until the end, because I was definitely taken on this emotional journey, and I really enjoyed the film, and we haven't even talked about the rock creatures, which I liked. I liked the world building, uh, and I actually did too. I would have thought going of... into it that my main detractor <laughs> would be that there are rock creatures, but I actually, in, in, in the context of the story that they were building, I thought they were fine, and mm-hmm. I... I would think I was more emotionally connected to the rock creatures being <laughs> killed by the crazy things than I was a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I 
namely was taken on that story but then by the end like the last 20 minutes there was like that's when you need to bring it home and it was kind of just it had already dropped off from there there was so much that could have been mined from all of that and it didn't make any sort of bold statement which i feel like darren aronofsky can do like yeah some of his other like the fountain is, is another movie of his that's super divisive and you know Nathan hates when I say divisive, divisive, um, <laughs> that I think all three of us can agree we like better. And I did like yeah. Noah, but I, I love The Fountain. But I you think know it's a bolder artistic statement. You know what's interesting to me, and I, I, I do agree this is a tangent back to what I was saying earlier. I really loved The Fountain, and I remember loving it at the time um, and thinking that it had some really like great things to say about human nature and mm -hmm. time and space and how's but but it's funny because now that I'm looking back at it in that movie as well Rachel Weiss is totally a cipher oh, no. it's but if you think about it and I really like the movie but it, Rachel Weiss is totally a cipher for like again just like the woman the ideal of what yeah. he loves there's not really much to any of the characters she plays in that and even like looking at like black swan yeah. It's about two archetypes of women that exist, the good girl and the bad girl. That's true. And so it, it actually, it's funny because now this gives me pause to think that like Aronofsky does not know how to write or construct stories about real women. And he sees women just as archetypes to fill into a story. And then he has and these, Ellen like, Burst and, and Requiem for a Dream is so good, but it's probably just her. And I probably it need to rewatch that I need movie. to rewatch it. I think we're... we're quickly entering the <laughs> next section of our podcast but i want to say uh one other thing for sure now which is something that really gave me pause and made me scared that this <laughs> might actually be something that aronofsky is claiming or stating in some way um, and it has to do with uh, something that happens near the end of the film i can't even remember specifics surprise surprise but it's a conversation between Noah and his wife, and she's basically reassuring him that everything's going to be okay because he was chosen by God to do this. So in that way, no matter what happens, I think it was his wife. Maybe it was a different character, but someone's reassuring, <laughs> someone's reassuring him. That's all going to be okay because he was chosen by God and no matter what he does, that's what was meant to be because he was chosen by God. And it's kind of this circular reasoning right. that mm. scares the crap out of me in life. I mean, I'm serious. When, when actual people in this world think like that's, that's their sort of logic right. that, that everything is justified by itself. Right. <laughs> and it's kind of like when people say everything happens for a reason, which is the number one worst thing you yeah. can ever say in my presence. <laughs> because it's utterly meaningless. But Nathan, <laughs> it's like, everything no does crap. happen Everything for happens a for a reason. Something Amen. happened before it. Uh, anyway, that that there was a shade of a, a message there and I was very scared. I don't think, again, it, it was just that moment. So I don't think that was his 
message in this film at all. Which but was the weird thing in general. It was very off-putting. Yeah. But, but that would, again, was the weird thing in general was that there was no real message. Right. And that feels to me sort of like because he's taking on what is a biblical story. And I know that there were, like, a lot of issues with the studio, being afraid that it was going to alienate, like religious people mm -hmm. and it's been banned in a couple of countries like I think in Egypt and a couple other places you know and so it just feels like instead of actually taking any real point of view and yeah. stance he just like went middle of the road tiptoed yeah. on places which means we don't really know if that is you know what I mean like there is yeah. that speech and I see it yeah. but I don't know if that is what he was trying to get across because he had no real point I will say though one criticism that I heard um, I think I saw it covered on, like, The Daily Show, which, of course, crazy Fox News pundits, whatever, mm -hmm. talking about how they were upset that in the film they never refer to God by the name of God, that they call it the creator. creator. And that was one thing that I actually really liked because just historically, like, Christianity is not the only religion to have a story of the great flood, like mm -hmm. the great flood also, of course, Judaism, because it's Old Testament, but also like in Islam, they have a version of a great flood and the story of Noah. So it appears in a lot of places and they just refer to who we assume as God is mm -hmm. the creator. And I actually really liked that, that in that way he made it sort of I a story. Too. I like that. Which because is what it made is a story me... of humanity versus like right. a specific religion. But then he didn't dig into it. That's true. But I think that's in general why I was maybe just more predisposed to like it is that, again, as I said, I didn't go into it thinking that this was a biblical tale, but that, you know, it's creator, it was more universal, right. was I think what he was maybe trying to get across. It didn't necessarily succeed, but he was trying to get across this, right. um, you know, more just general human tale. Uh, before you mean we... male tale? Male tale, yes. <laughs> Whale tale. Uh, but I think the scariest part we can agree on uh, was near the beginning, Emma Watson's character <laughs> as a young child uh, asks Russell Crowe as she's like maybe dying of this uh, stomach injury, will you sing uterus to me? Injury. Uterus she's injury. Like uterus she, injury. She asked Russell Crowe to sing to her and Elizabeth and I were like, no, don't sing Russell Crowe, not again. <laughs> don't do it. This will not ease your suffering, young uh, child. <laughs> but it happened and it flood. Let's move on. Speaking of speaking of flood, after the uh, flood passes, you're left with some some swampy some earth, swamp water, yeah. which which uh, will bring us into our next section. And our next drink, uh, speaking of swampy earth, is <laughs> swamp water. Also, uh, alternate pronunciation would be swamp water. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm going to spin you a yarn right now, tell you a tale oh, no. of my growing up in the rural, rural, rural area oh, of, wow. of the northern part of these United States of America. And <laughs> every summer there would be a county fair, of course, of course. that's the big thing to do, um, where there would be carnies. Carney families mm -hmm. that would travel around with these families. Yeah. Much like Noah and his family, actually. <laughs> the, that's just cruel. Descendants I, I apologize. Anyway. Seth. Seth, yes. I first encountered swamp water slash swamp water at the county fair, where one of the, I think it was one of the student groups, 4 H, for those of you who 
grew up in a Midwestern state or live in a Midwestern state, you know what 4-H is. Mm -hmm. And they had this booth with a fountain uh, for fountain drinks, pop or soda for the rest of us. And uh, the most popular thing to order was swamp water. And instead of ordering, for example, Pepsi or Mountain Dew or Sprite or whatever, you would order (laughs) swamp water and they would do a little spritz of every single thing that they had in the fountain. So you never, no two drinks were alike, no, just like no two swamps are alike, really. (laughs) Is that true? I guess. Are swamps like snowflakes? Swamps are (laughs) the new snowflake. And so, anyway, that's, that's the backstory of swamp water. And clearly for this film, for Noah, the the world, you know, when you're descending into hell, you're going to have some swampage. And also, you for us, we're on our third drink. We just want to throw things in a pitcher and drink them up. And I feel like the, the film's message was a little murky, much like... Like yeah, there are so many different ways. To I also feel this. like it was about like conservation, right? Little using bit, using bit. all parts, so we're using all parts of mm, our. We are, but then you would call it the marsh water or something. <laughs> marsh. Swamp is a little too. That's true. Marsh as water. propaganda goes, it's not <laughs> it's prob- not very positive. Anyway, let's list the ingredients. So, the ingredients in our version of swamp water, and listen. Up. (laughs) Anyone, anywhere can make swamp water. All you need is a glass and some sort of liquid that's not going to poison you. So, our particular, yep, our particular version of swamp water has eight ingredients. Let me see if I can recite them without looking behind me. We have limoncello. We have a little bit of ginger beer, what was left over. We have vodka. Mm-hmm. We have club soda. Yep. Yeah, I got four. Uh, <laughs> there is um, some St. Germain. St. Germain. And then there's lavender bloom, yeah. which is not alcoholic, I don't believe, but it's a really yeah. delicious mixer, lavender flavored. Uh, grapefruit juice we have. And we have the remnants of a bottle of red wine that was opened, I think, two weeks ago. So you can even, it's also, again, speaking of environmentally friendly, (laughs) we are using every last drop of what we have here. We really are. So anyway, I'm really jazzed about this swamp water. It's our swamp water. It's kind of reminding me of the Pantone color of the year, which is radiant orchid for those of you who haven't heard this (laughs) it's uh that kind of vibrant hue so it's not really it's it's not really uh as muddy as you might think but no doubt yours will be uglier because you're uglier than we are (laughs) so anyway um what we what we don't know is that the more nathan drinks the more he becomes like ray winston in this movie which is over the top character bad However, I am going to stay in 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 the nature of the film since I am a woman. I'm going to be very peaceful and just full of only good qualities and just mm. bursting with the life that my body is able to give. <laughs> so fitting. So fitting. 
<laughs> For anyone who knows. Where, where are we? Yeah. Uh, I don't know where this is going. So, Aron- so Aronofsky, we, we, I talked a little bit about how it made me question the fountain. Um, mm. Just because, again, Rachel Weiss is sort of a cipher throughout all the different time periods in that movie. Um, and then I'm, I brought up Black Swan, but upon further investigation, the films that Aronofsky has written or had a part in, in writing were Rec Room for a Dream, um, The Fountain, and and Noah. So I and would, Black Swan or no? Black Swan, no. No? Okay. Um, so I would be sort of interested in going back and rewatching Rec Room for a Dream. He also wrote Pi. He also wrote Pi. Right. Um, which I have seen, but remember very, very little about, so I, I can't really speak to that. What would be, if you just had to quick list your favorite, Aronofsky, what is it? My, f- probably Requiem for a Dream. Hmm. Me Too, by a mile. I loved Requiem for a Dream. I would definitely still need to see it again. I would say The Fountain, but I think Black Swan is his best. Ah. Mm. And I know you disagree. I think I, Black Swan is a great genre film. Yeah. I think it's a great psychological thriller. But I, I feel think like it will stand the test of time more so than some of his others. I do really, really, really like Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. But I almost like the performances more than the, the film. Which yeah. could maybe be said for, for Noah as well. Anyhow. There was something interesting. I read um, a New Yorker or the New Yorker profile of... The New Yorker profile, darling. Yes. Uh, One of the few articles I actually read as I frantically paged through uh, the issue that was already a month old. And um, it was interesting because Aronofsky was saying that, and it almost seemed like he took pride in the fact that no one likes all of his films. Mm. Um, they're all different enough and his vision and his follow through is different enough that they'll appeal to different sets of people and I think that's very true in my experience of watching his movies I I loved Requiem for a Dream I actually really loved The Wrestler which is an entirely different experience on most levels Mm -hmm. Uh, I hated Noah Let's just yeah. say it. <laughs> I I loved the fountain. I didn't love Black Swan and thought it was overpraised. And Pie, I need to watch again because it was just a little too abstract for me. I think. Right. Um. But I thought that was interesting that he sees, and he also takes pride in the fact that he doesn't. He doesn't seek to please his audience, he actually seeks to make them uncomfortable and show them new ways of feeling Hmm. and confronting and being confronted by film. Yeah. Well, you know, and I do think it is an interesting contrast to our, um, first podcast about Grand Budapest where, a Wes Anderson film is always very clearly a Wes Anderson film. Right. So that is a sort of interesting point of view about Darren Aronofsky sort of trying More to... More of a chameleon. Or a, right. Yeah. Which is, there's definitely some admir... And while, however, he feels like he wants to be a comedian, I would also say, though, that all of his films feel personal. 
like he has a personal response and attachment to the material, which I don't think can be said for every director. Just because so so often, yeah, he's right? Never directors, a director for hire, right? Directors yeah. are just contracted yeah. in to to make someone else's film, and they do it, and so their their different films might not always feel the same. Mm-hmm. But really, just because so it, it does always feel like a very personal statement from him. But I appreciate the the chameleon. And speaking of that, another bit of trivia. Ding ding ding. That's the <laughs> trivia sound. Another bit of trivia from that article I was reading. He Aronofsky actually before making Pi, I don't remember what year, but at some point before he made his first feature, he wrote out a list of ten kind of concepts that he wanted to cover in film form, and every single one of his movies has come from that list of ten. So, wow. speaking of personal, I mean, definitely, yeah. right. he's he's made a point of of uh, of following through on that, and I I definitely do admire that. I think that's fascinating. I think that's so interesting that you know we're even though we've said that Noah wasn't maybe a, a big success in terms of making a personal statement because it wasn't bold enough, we still are really appreciating that like. At the moment, it, it seems like in film criticism, the director is like God and like being an auteur and having a, a director's vision. We're yeah. putting so much emphasis and responsibility on the director when obviously there's so many other people and so many other aspects involved Right. that I feel like it's both a, a gift and a curse. Like it's a gift that, you know, a studio can entrust Aronofsky, who's kind of this out there artist with a lot of money to make a film such as Noah. Um, but at the same time, the critics, even though I've, and I haven't read too many reviews of Noah, is still like overwhelmingly positive, but no one really loves this movie. And it's almost like just because he's an established artist, they're like, oh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's Aronofsky. Right. Well, I actually, on that, I have a little bit of trivia, which is that Paramount Pictures was worried about how Noah and its religious theme would be treated. So they screen tested three different cuts oh, wow. um, without the approval of Darren Aronofsky. Oh. And all of them were met with resounding criticism from Christian audiences. Um, so it was like a whole debacle, and Aronofsky said that he was unhappy with Paramount testing alternate visions, um, saying that with drama that it would work for comedies or horror films, but in dramas it's very hard to do, and he doesn't believe in screen testing. So they ended up having a compromise that Darren Aronofsky's version, not the studio's version, would be the final cut of Noah. Hmm. And the quote from him is, they tried what they wanted to try and eventually they came back. My version of the film hasn't been tested. It is what we wrote and what was green-lighted, Aronofsky said. So it was not tested until the post-production was finished and Hmm. screened for critics, which I do sort of appreciate that yeah, he has know. sort of the clout in his own ability to say, like, no, this is my film and it's going to be my vision. Especially when, you know, anytime it's any sort of religious theme, it's mm-hmm. controversial. Yep. Um, so I appreciate that. Another thing, talking about what Nathan was saying about how he had, like, these original ten ideas that he wants to conquer in film, whatever they are. Um, 
this movie he came up with for a seventh grade assignment, a poem hmm. for an assignment by, and it was given by his middle school teacher Vera Fried Freed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyways, as a thanks, she's mentioned in the closing credits and appears twice in the film. Hmm. As a as Methuselah, <laughs> I wish <laughs> she Hopkins. she appear she appears as Anthony Hopkins as Methuselah. <laughs> no, she's like a one-eyed hag or something in the film. She's a extra greedy Noah, and then later she's a corpse floating in a river. Oh. So any aspiring writers out Such there, honor. just remember Looking that for a corpse, <laughs> yeah, you can put your inspirations in your movies as dead corpse floating along the river. Amen. Hmm. Um, and, and I think that's about it, but I would say, you know, we were, I, I sort of posed the question to the gentleman beforehand, what is their favorite biblical movie? <laughs> and we all kind of came up blank, blank, <laughs> not as blank as Douglas Booth, <laughs> but, but pretty blank, but pretty blank. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I ended up eventually coming up with life of Brian because I find it very yes. funny, but um, but biblical films are not made that often, actually. They're not. At least not in a yeah. mainstream release. Well. And certainly not in recent. Yeah, I mean, we looked up sort of a list. Entertainment Weekly has a list of top ten mm-hmm. biblical epics, and most of them were all easily made fifty years ago. Yeah. And like, that's how, I mean, there's so many stories to mine from the Bible. I mean, clearly politicians and crazy people everywhere are mining <laughs> and interpreting this okay. huge text however they want. There's right. definitely, and obviously, you know, Ridley Scott has Exodus, Gods and Kings coming later this year. There are lots of, like, religious or faith-based smaller independent studios that are coming up out with, um, you know, smaller right. films that are doing well at the box office, almost like this niche audience is, is turning out for these these pictures. I personally have a, besides Life of Brian, which is amazing, um, I've got a, just a childhood connection to the Ten Commandments from 1956. I've never with, seen it, to with be honest. Brenner, it's where, oh, it's, I, I mean, I haven't seen it since I was young, but it, I feel like it was either on TV all the time, or I just somehow got my hands on it, and I watched it several <laughs> times. It's amazing. Um, speaking speaking of, of Ridley Scott's, speaking of Ridley Scott's, this is just a small tangent that we discussed, but it's it's a problem I think that still exists, which is that um, Ridley Scott is making a movie about the Exodus and, and Moses, and Moses is being played by Christian Bale, mm-hmm. a decidedly non-Jewish... <laughs> <laughs> actor Sigourney Weaver has a part Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad who I love but again decidedly sort of Aryan in appearance mm-hmm. and then perhaps worse Ramesses the um, <laughs> the leader of Egypt <laughs> is being played by the Australian very white, white actor Joel, <laughs> Joel Edgerton, Edgerton which is pretty upsetting and then still there's a female character played by Indira Varma who I really love she was on the HBO series Rome she's now on Game of Thrones this season she's she's been in a number of things she's a great um, actress of, of Indian descent so I just wonder what she's thinking on set with all of these very very Anglo actors 
plain Middle Eastern parts, and it's 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 a little sad that we haven't come much farther from all those biblical epics they did make in the 1950s. Right. Well, at least Noah had a lot of diversity. Oh wait, no, not always. at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's yeah. I mean, it's 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 a lot sad, and frankly, it's offensive, <laughs> right. and it's 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 absurd. It yeah. just doesn't. Right. It doesn't make sense, and I think Cinedrunk hereby demands at least that people start talking about this because. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you can debate. You can debate lots of things in terms of uh, um, roles for people of color in in um, movies where, you know, they're based on a source material that has all characters who are Aryan or Anglo or whatever. But then you're, you're, (laughs) this is like the extreme reverse of that. And you're still casting all these, you know, really extremely white (laughs) people for no good reason. Right. When actually it, it, it should be. It, it doesn't make source. any sense right. whatsoever. Anyway, ah, that's a whole that's a whole other podcast that's uh, going to get very angry. <laughs> um, but I wanted to talk about my favorite biblical. Oh, I'm so film, excited. Which I have two things to discuss. Yeah. One is I just wanted to give a shout out to Alone Yet Not Alone from <laughs> this year's Oscars. <laughs> The Oscar-nominated, oh, whoops, not Oscar-nominated, rescinded, rescinded nomination, nomination oh, uh, no. for best song or I don't yeah. know what the exact best, original song. best original song. Um, <laughs> that I mean, if you haven't witnessed this trophy of a song, go on YouTube and look it up. It's pretty. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, niche evangelical. Also speaking of <laughs> casting people of color. Right. Yeah, yikes. Oh, yeah. African Americans are not the same as Native Americans. Yeah. That's neither it's pretty, it's actually vile. I was even, I mean, I wouldn't even watch the trailer to the movie because that's vile and offensive. But the, the song itself, you special. could listen to it. It's pretty special. Uh, my movie, I just, I was asking Matt and Elizabeth if I could just choose The Exorcist, really. Because mm. that's... Um, I know it's the not power of Christ quite... The Power of Christ does compel me. <laughs> and uh, I know it's not quite in the same neighborhood as The Ten Commandments. <laughs> not quite. But it's definitely... Probably, it's got my vote. Probably better me. It's got my vote. Amen. You know, and that's, I mean, that would be a whole other podcast, but that's a whole fascinating sort of period in cinematic history and its ties to religion is there was that whole trend of the exorcist and Rosemary's baby and the omen and this idea of like an antichrist and particularly taking over our children. There's a lot of scary stuff in the Bible. It's like scary Noah, shit, it's man. almost a horror movie too. Scary shit, which I, I would have rather he made it as, a, anyway, he, I think Straight the moral there. of the story of Noah is he should have picked what he was trying to say as opposed to trying to sample a lot of different things and not really having a clear thing. Also, women are more than their uteruses. I'm just going to throw that out there and that's my last impression. And Methuselah and the berries. That's really all we need to take away from, from Noah. 
It's true. I'm just stuffing my face with berries right now. (laughs) As it should be. Everything happens for a reason. I was going to say I'm stuffing my face with nuts, but then I realized that would be really (laughs) difficult. And I think we're we're properly drowned in swamp water, and we should... We should call it quits. Swamp water is taken over. So we will be back soon. Um, we haven't actually decided what our next podcast would be, although we're thinking it might be more of a classic film instead of a new release. Perhaps. Perhaps. It'll it'll be a surprise, but we'll be back soon. We will, and it'll be amazing. We'll. Whatever it is. Thank you for joining us. This has been Cinema Drunk.